welcome to the Line Break Podcast. We are back. My name is Chris Corlew, and with me as always is my friend and co-host, Bob Sakura. We're back. We're back. Bob, we've been trying to do this. What 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 take of this episode is this like? Oh god, at least number three. At least number three. If not, at least like number three. Seven or eight. <laughs> Definitely, we have a scheduled seven or eight. We've scheduled. That's that's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the the real question is, are we more or less back than the Bulls are back? Because I'm not sure how back the Bulls are right now. You know, I think that uh, the Bulls are 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 hitting some um, uh, are, are doing some really important things like um, uh, getting IO going mm-hmm. and um, beating the Nets. Those are about the two most important things I can think of the Bulls be doing right now, and they've done both this week. So. Excellent things. Um, I was going to say, the two things we need to check in on uh, since our hiatus, I think we did a couple of episodes last spring. Uh, yeah, is one, I think how, we did one. Our last one was at the top of the summer, I believe. Right. So how back the bulls are, covered. covered. Uh, is uh, is poetry dead yet? Is poetry still alive? What's going on with poetry? <laughs> I think, I think poetry's, poetry's still in a good spot. Um, uh, Elon Musk just brought Twitter, though, so we have to find a new place to promote ourselves soon. <laughs> <laughs> It's poetry Twitter possibly dead. Poetry continues on. But poetry uh, soldiers on, yes. Right, right. Yeah. All right. As as it tends to do. As it tends to do. People people love to proclaim it to be dead though. Right. It's always it's always dead and coming back, dead and coming back. Really great at reincarnation. Or uh I was looking for another word. That's the best I got. Reincarnation. Um, that works. Yeah, it's fine. Did you see that? I don't even remember the name of who it was, but that one tweet the other day that was like, the biggest risk takers in poetry there, those are traditionalists. I was like, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Uh... <laughs> the biggest risk takers are traditional. Oh, my God. Um, would love to unpack uh, their version of what traditionalists means so i mean I'm, I'm with you with the visceral like shut up response um, <laughs> but you know uh that is a that's a comp teacher thing where you know every once in a while someone says something and it's like well i can't or write, says or write something i can't in the immediate just dis- immediate just dismiss you but if we like slow down let's think about the words you're using traditionalists what kind of traditions are we talking about whose traditions how are they being used you know etc exactly. etc well, and they were also couching it in a bunch of like transphobic, like pro-gender stuff. So you know, yeah, I had right. a pretty good idea what traditionalist meant. <laughs> I had a, I had a hunch there. Um, I don't know. I I've been thinking just about... like there are only two genders. There are two rhymes in a couplet. <laughs> oh. There are t- two couplets in a stanza. We're only doing that. <laughs> um, I've been thinking about this. I just feel like there was some something I was paying attention to where, you know, people were talking about where are the radicals or what's the radical stuff going on and kind of flailing against quote unquote academic poetry, which again feels again, like any term about poetry feels more and more far away and worthless and and not actually meaning anything. A hundred percent. You know, and it's just so funny. Poetry is one where like stuff that was radical X number of years ago does eventually um, become part of the canon, you know, at least Certainly not all of it, but a lot of it does. Um, and so, I don't know. I don't know what we're railing against. I don't know why everyone's so mad all the time, at least about poetry. <laughs> I don't know why. It was. It, there are so many things in life that are worth getting mad about, and poetry is not one of them. Right. It's yeah, yeah, Hanging on to tradition in poetry <laughs> um, or, or searching for the true radicals um, 
you know, we're all, we're all writing poems and there's some really good stuff happening. Right. And, uh, I think, I think most of the time I'm pretty content to just watch and be happy about that. Yeah, absolutely. Which is what the main purpose of this podcast is. I was saying maybe start a podcast. Be joyful about poetry. (laughs) There we go. Bring on the joy. Let's bring some joy. Yeah. Man, it'd be cool if like we're reading a poet named joy this week, but we're, ah, (laughs) I could work on that. (laughs) I have one in mind. Would have, been, um, would have been a great segue. I have, I have a couple in mind too. Yes. Okay. All right. Let's uh, let's read us a title for a future episode. Is uh, po- poems about joy by poets named Joy. <laughs> All right, Bob. Speaking of poetry, do you have a? I brought a poem. I brought a poem to talk awesome. about. Yeah. I'm just gonna go ahead and read it because I feel like every time I try and set up some context, I say all of the things I want to say. This is a poem called Broken Light Bulb Flickering Away by Noor Hindi. Every week I fall in love with a new bad idea. I hope one day to magic my body away. I wish for everyone to leave me alone and talk to me at once. Please forgive me. All I've ever wanted is to be the poet laureate of Flaming Hot Cheetos. All my desires go unnoticed. On my birthday, I visit a fortune teller. She tells me beware of the letter J. Jackhammers, joylessness, jukeboxes, white men named Jason. Jesus, there's so much junk in my brain. My father escaped war, and here I am, the perfect immigrant child. I assimilate so much, I drink Diet Coke at the rate of a middle-aged white woman. My mother wanted to be a writer, I should hold her sacrifices, but instead sob into a donut decorated like the U.S. flag at 3 a.m. My cat is tired of my antics. My parents name me light because their lives lie in the shadow, but I'm a poor example of joy. Sometimes I get so sad I think about eating a quesadilla or assembling a tire swing or taking off my bra. Instead, I dream of the big dumb heart my mother hands me. She tells me to carry it. I drop it every time. Man, it's a poem. We got our joy in there, too. I we mean, got some I, joy in there. We got, we, got, we got literally the word came up. I forgot that it was in there. Um, came up as a, a poor example of, but we're counting. <laughs> you know, uh, I, it's speaking, for, speaking for all of us sometimes, a poor example of joy. Right, right. Yeah, this is great. There's a lot to uh, tackle, but... Um, like you said, every time you try to give context, we just start doing it. So why this poem? <laughs> um, I have been on a, a pretty good reading pace lately. I think I slowed down a little bit once the school year started. And also I was bouncing around during the summer. So I didn't, I don't know, maybe might come up a little short of my goals. But I was like looking back at my little list of things I've read. And I was like pretty excited. And so for our return podcast episode, just kind of look through um, some of the collections I've read lately. And this one... By Noor Hindi. It's called uh, Dear God, Dear Bones, Dear Yellow, um, out from Haymarket Books, Chicago. Let's go. Yeah, um, Chicago. Was, was really just like one of my favorite things that I've read over the past six months or so. And uh, a poet I had been aware of, had my eyes on, um, there, oh, there's a poem. Uh, what was it called? It's such a good title. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to remember it. I'm going to feel so good about it that, you know, went semi-viral, at least within poetry circles. Oh, it's called 
fuck your lecture on craft. My people are dying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's such a good poem and like an incredible title. And I don't, I don't remember who the person was, but someone was doing like a roundup of like what they're reading and they're excited about. And they were like, this poem's so good. How does this poet not have a book yet? So that was like in my memory of like, I got to check that book out when it comes. Um, and it just, the book delighted me yeah. across the board. Uh, again, I think poems, this one, I think being representative in some ways, not certainly of all of it, but of, of poems where there's just like a lot to tackle, a lot to chew on, a lot to feel and think and, you know, poetry doing that work that makes me so excited about a poem of like, here's this thing. It exists on one page. And every time I read it, I hear and I feel something new. Yeah. It's one of those that, um, that really goes a lot of different places and Mm -hmm. does so with, I know we have this qualification, this disclaimer every time we say it, but like does so with like kind of a casual ease, you know, Mm -hmm. there's nothing easy about writing poetry, but like when you're reading it feels like, Oh yeah, it makes sense that we've gone from, uh, Poet Laureate of the Flame, of Flame and Hot Cheetos to worrying about the letter J to my favorite line. Sometimes I get so sad I think about eating a quesadilla. <laughs> right. Which is roughly me, five days a week between 9 p.m. and midnight. <laughs> I love that that expression you just use of casual ease because that does feel so often one of those things that's so ex- exciting about poems. Um, yeah, my I mean, favorite poems do this where it's... right. I was going to say, like, we could, this is the part where we cheers because I'm going to, I'm going to mention Frank O'Hara, you know, like talk about that (laughs) where, yeah, it seems so observational and jumping from thought to thought as if someone just jotted down, oh, I was thinking this and then I was thinking this and then I was thinking this. Um, But so again, so clearly more craft and time and went into that, um, but it still has that feel. Yeah. Yeah. I I actually have been uh, writing more poetry lately. Um, Let's go. Uh, yeah, I know, I know, it's crazy. Maybe, maybe the first time in the history of this podcast that I've sat down and purposefully write po- written poems um, instead of just like editing old work. <laughs> it's at least the first time that you said I'm working on new poems. Well, yeah. It's been happening. It's the first time when you're like feeling good. There's new poems. <laughs> yeah, I, I the manuscript that I've been working on for you know uh, 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 14 years longer than most of the people in the NBA have been in the NBA. <laughs> Uh, is like a lot of long poems and it was, it's poems like this poems, like broken light bulb flickering away. That was like, I'm going to try just like bang out like 10 that are on all one page. And I'm going to keep them on one page Mm. and just try to do this, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's such a, I've been doing a lot of, you know, obviously I've been doing a lot of fiction writing, been doing a lot of writing for cracked and mental floss. And like, it's, it's, it's such a different way to, um, uh, approach writing that is like just fun, you know, just, yeah. um, cool. And then, yeah, poems like this make you kind of feel like you can do it, you know? Yeah. Oof. We love it. We love it. So yeah, speaking of those kinds of, uh, poetic, uh, uh, shimming that can happen. Oh, what's the, what's the move in this one for you? You know, uh, I think I'm going to have to say it has something to do with, you know, diction, word choice, the ability to kind of switch, um, you know, between registers to kind of talk about big feelings and also things that will make me laugh. And I think the reason that hit me is, is truly uh poet laureate of Fleming hot Cheetos was like what stood out on the page. I like had to immediately take a picture of this and text it to folks. Right. Um, it, it made a, more... a, a meme among circles that include you and me. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right, if not our uh, most recent, but our second most recent was a uh, episode was, talking to Hannah about being the poet laureate of the White House, of Waffle House. Waffle House, yeah. (laughs) 
Um, you know, and to go from something like that that just like makes me smile. And same like you said with, um, I think about eating, uh, I get so sad I think about eating a quesadilla or assembling a tire swing or taking off my bra. Like all of those things that are are really kind of funny, but also, you know, nestled in a poem that I know is doing a lot more work and made me like think and feel quite a bit more, yeah. um, you know, than just getting some laughs out of it. Especially with a line like, my brother, my, my mother wanted to be a writer. Right. I should hold her sacrifices, but instead sob into a donut decorated like the U.S. flag at 3 a.m. Right. And Ugh. talking about like, <laughs> wanted to be a writer, but oh no, had to escape war. You know? Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, and, and what a, God, I'm so glad you pointed us back to that. Because like, what an incredible image. Um, yeah. And again, going from, my mother wanted, we got a line break, to be a writer. I should hold. We got another line break. Her sacrifices, but instead sob. Another line break. Three, you know, pretty heavy lines. Yeah. And then leading into that image, a donut decorated like the U.S. flag. Um, but that image holds so much. Oh, yeah. Because um, it's a funny <laughs> image, but it's also, it's a really heavy image, too. It's a like loaded the, image. Yeah, exactly. I was I was reading um, another favorite of this podcast, Ocean Vuong, recently, and just thinking mm-hmm. about the... I, I guess there's one of his poems, I don't remember which one now, but um, mm-hmm. it just really viscerally made me think about something I hadn't really thought of before in that being a refugee from a war and like mm-hmm. escaping into the country that is the aggressor. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh-huh. what a just like mind fuck that is. Right. Um, even if you like politically, ideologically, or whatever, are on the, the side of whatever yeah. politics or ideology aside from that, it's like just has to be such a like such a cognitive dissonance, like to, to, to experience and this poem kind of gave me those vibes a little bit too um, absolutely and, and th- th- this poem i mean that image with the uh right a donut decorated like the u.s flag right and i think too because it's a funny so, image too exactly i was gonna donut say it's, it's, one of those, the US, it's ridiculous <laughs> it's one of those things where it's it's like highlighting on you know on one level just like the absurd ways we go to patriotism you know like yeah. just completely silly things that we do in the name patriotism. And then again, that second layer of if you're, you know, coming here from another country, you have, um, you know, family, you have these kind of roots somewhere else um, from your family. Um, just the even bigger absurdity that that has to look like of the, the USA donut. Right. Um, you know, and I mean, yeah, exactly. If once you start thinking about, you know, the United States as a colonial force and how many folks, that's impacting, but yeah, end up here. Whew. We're, whew. yeah, you know, yeah. There's, I don't have the words, yeah. right? It's 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 really heavy, and exactly the dissonance that you're describing, it, it's dizzying for me, and I can only imagine, you know, to hold it, you know, closer to myself to to feel it at that level for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh. <laughs> right yeah. <laughs> uh, this poem yeah. yeah like we we've said this before you know a poem's good and we're both like coming up short on the war <laughs> right, right it's i mean yeah and that's i think you know part of that too is like the that which resists paraphrase it's like right what's the move in this poem means just point at the poem <laughs> <laughs> um i will take us in a lighter direction i have no idea if she intended this um, but the American flag donut at 3 a.m. Uh, immediately reminds me of the Ariana Grande donut uh, debacle, for better. I mean, people, 
I don't remember the Aria Grande. Well, don't many know. people, myself included, I think this is great, but, you know, she had to, like, apologize for this. She goes to a donut shop really late at night. Uh, she, like, licks her hand and, like, reaches over the counter oh, and touches yeah, the donut. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. And, yeah. like, says something about how she hates the United States or whatever. <laughs> it was just... <laughs> Great moment, um, and you know, and that obviously upsets some people. Uh, also, like, is something literally both those things like every high schooler ever has done this to right, and, and in a donut shop specifically. Yes. Know, like, like, <laughs> well, what I love about you bringing that up is like you have, you said you have no idea if she intended this or not. Um, that is the kind of thing I would put in a piece and be like, no one's ever going to get this part of it except for like. <laughs> The homies, you know. <laughs> I, I have to think about that sometimes. Of like, you know, because any poem is at least open to kind of that that level of reference, that level of double meaning of this. Does this connect the reader to this idea or thought or whatever? Right. Um, and on some level, there's this like, as I'm reading the poem, I'm like, okay, is this poet as online as I am, or more online than I am? It's <laughs> possible, awesome. you know, like. Because, <laughs> yeah, like, me attaching those two things is totally a problem with how, like, it's about how online I am. That's really what's happening. There. Right, right. <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's a problem specific to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> it might not be a problem at all. It might not be a problem. <laughs> it at least is indicative of how online I am, um, right. which is something we're working on. <laughs> Again, if Elon Musk just destroys Twitter, like that might be great. That might be fine for me. <laughs> you know, I heard, I saw someone today talking about the uh, um, returning to the just like let's just recreate the blogosphere. It was like, yeah, I in high school, the happiest online I was was when I had a Zanga and AIM. Let's just go back to that. <laughs> <laughs> just message boards from now on, please. <laughs> um, well, we're getting off track, so. Uh, as we as we drift further and further beyond the page, Bob, with this poem, what's going beyond the, going on beyond the page for you? You know, um, as I thought about this, um, this poem does that thing where it brings me as a reader close to a subject that I can't fully understand. Um, you know, for me, kind of one of the you know personal attachments that happens right here. Um, as she's talking about, you know, uh, what her parents experienced in leaving their home country, her experience um, as the child of immigrants. Um, it For me, it, it brings me back to my grandparents are immigrants and, you know, try to think about like what that looked like for my mother. Um, and then trying to, and then thinking too of like, yeah, like I get to experience this in a very brief and definitely different way um, in the sense that I'm like this whole generation removed. And one of the ways that that um, manifests for me is just how like wildly different my life is from that of my grandparents and what they sure. experienced. You know, yeah. um, one of the ways I think about this a lot is, is both me and my brother are, we've been incredibly privileged and have gone to school like forever. Yeah. Um, and it's just like one of those things where it's just like, how do you explain that to them? <laughs> you know, like, what do you, what do you mean you don't have a job? What do you mean you're not married? What do you mean you're moving again? You know? Right. Um, and it's, it's one of those things like, I'm very lucky to have had those, those options. And like, it's literally, it's like the product of their hard work. And, right. um, but it's also one of those things where it's just like, it's almost 
impossible for them to understand just coming from such a different place, such a different lifestyle. Yeah. Um, you know, so yeah, it's it for me, this poem does this really interesting thing of connecting my own experience to it, bringing me close to an experience that I can't have. Because I mean, very much built in this poem is, I think, the experience of, you know, being a woman. Um, I think, you know, there's a massive jump between my experience um, as a white person and what she's talking about, um, you know, but it still lets me in, lets me think and feel and uh, do all of this emotional wrestling that I'm doing out loud right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, oh, and what I was what I was getting to, too, was um, I brought this poem to my my creative writing class immediately, like next day, maybe two mm. days later, but whatever, you know. Um, and it was so funny to see kind of their different. I, I think they had these similar experiences to what I'm saying of, you know, they were able to connect to it in some ways and still recognize distance in other ways. And I just think that's so cool. You know, like yeah. there's something again, we've we've said this many and many a time that it's it, to me, at least it feels like I don't know anything that can do it quite as well as poetry can. Um, to bring us so close to the experience of others that we truly can't understand, truly can't experience. And then also to like, allow us to connect to that. It's, Oh, I am like, yeah, no, man, this is I good. Am... You're, you're <laughs> getting me sounding about poetry today. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> I caught you on a sentimental afternoon. This Apparently. Um, uh, but I mean, yeah, yeah, I... you're talking about the, what the best writing does. Um, it reminds right. me of, um, there was a, an article I wrote a year or two ago about, um, it was like a best kids books list. Like, yeah. written, and I came across in the research for it where I was like trying to, uh, talking about the importance of like, um, diversity, especially in kids books. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, obviously we've tried to stock our kids bookshelf with, uh, you know, lots of, uh, books about people who look like him. Um, yeah. and, and, uh, and, or or who don't just look one uniform, right? Charlie Brown type of way type of thing. Um, and some writer, no, I wish I can remember their name, um, had this term, uh, uh, mirror or window books from Dr. Rudine Sims Bishop. I believe I'm saying that right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, mirror or window books, um, mirror books allowing children to see themselves, whereas window books allow children to see other people's perspectives. Um, and I, you know, I know there can be some kind of like corny, like, you know, representation doesn't solve everything kind of like thing that people will take, like, but it's just, um, yeah, the best writing is about sharing and the best writing is about like mm. bringing, bringing each other close to our experiences in like a real right visceral and lived way. Like you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Uh, this is, takes us off track, but those term I, I haven't heard that terminology before. That's really good. It's just like one of those things, like, once you say it out loud, it's like, yeah, of course every child should have both those experiences in their reading. You know? Right. Like, yeah. Like, like yeah. <laughs> it's it's just like, like it. I mean, you know, it's just like how they, they've done studies, how, like, you um, – they've done studies, classic, classic bullshit line, um, but <laughs> like how um, – people form pictures of the world based on like media they consume, you know? So it's like, we think of Russia always as like constantly snowing, you know, right. Like right. Millions of James Bond movies that only show Moscow in in the snow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's not like that at all. You know, it's in, you know, like, um, poetry is great at cutting through the, uh, Moscow's only snow covered bias. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. All right. You got me to be sappy for the day. We gotta, we gotta get to your poem so I can, uh, Harden up and, you know, become the... Make fun of me for being sappy later. Exactly. The hard host here. (laughs) 
All right, so this is, a, this is an excerpt. Um, this is from a, a book-length poem um, by Joshua Marie Wilkinson called Meadow Slasher. Um, so it's just two pages of that book-length poem. Can I just do what I set myself the task of doing? Sure you can, coward. Slowly pulled my hangnail back just to clean, get a clean rinse out of me. A dead and standing pool of air each squashed cat or skunk on the interstate, I see, I think, what's before us is already done getting itself here, right? Have your habits grown unkempt? How shall I answer? In what register? You want to come back inside? Click through the songs, looking for an orchard ladder to get up into the treetops with. How did you make your way, young courier? Tunnel drug lords, a rail track city garden, a big fuzzy dog pissing on the flowers. How much noise did you take in? I crossed out so much, there's little left to work through. At the field's edge, after the passing plowshares, cut a path through it. <clears throat> well. Yeah. I haven't read a Josh poem in quite a while. Um, Neither had so... I. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna tell me about a little bit why uh, this excerpt, why this book. I don't know any context we need. Sure, sure. Um, yeah. So yeah, I hadn't read Josh Poe in a while. Um, long time listener to the show will know that Josh was our uh, professor in college. Both of ours. Um, I very much look to him as a mentor, uh, writing wise and stuff. And um, yeah, this book came out, I believe, in 2014 um, mm. uh, when I was both. Uh, dead broke and also kind of just going through a time where I wasn't wasn't reading when I was going through a time where I I didn't have a healthy relationship with books and stuff so I've been kind of catching up these last couple years on stuff I've missed and was like hey it's time to time to get around to this one yeah a sort of funny story about this one the meadow slasher is um (laughs) I think it was around my senior year of college when he had maybe like started working on this Right. And we're hanging out one time and he just goes, what do you think about the title Meadow Slasher for a book? And I was like, that's awesome. You got to keep it. One of our other friends was like, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, keep it. And so anytime that we've spoken in the last, in the years leading up to this book, I was like, you're keeping the title Meadow Slasher, right? <laughs> and he never gave a definitive answer. And then one day the book came out. Oh, that rocks. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I hadn't read Josh Poem in a while. And um yeah, like I was, I was saying, you know, around 2014, I wasn't in a uh, great place with writing and reading and just like personal life stuff. I just, I just wasn't in a good, in a good writer's place, you know, right. I was like putting on a lot of, putting a lot of pressure on myself. Like everything I wrote just didn't feel good. Um, yeah. And, uh, um, you know, Josh, whom I very much look towards as a mentor and who's edited many a poem of mine, I would just hear his voice in the back of my head, you know, like with like the you know, stock cliche, strengthen this yeah. image. Like that's sort of like, it's the, the inner, inner editor became his voice a little bit, you know? So I've just, I've been kind of like getting, you know, last few years getting to where I've have a healthier relationship with writing, getting paid to write sometimes feeling better about writing. And, uh, I was like, I was like, yeah, it's time to go back to a Josh book. And I read this, I knocked this fucker out in one sitting. Like I love this <laughs> book so much. It just, I don't know. He, he just has a, uh, uh, really kind of mesmerizing, Mm-hmm. writing style of just like very like smooth flow but like lots of images on images questions on questions he's very good at right. writing questions i feel like 
right. um, which I think I picked this one because it had the most questions on one page that I could <laughs> <laughs> I could find. Um, and yeah, it just um, you know, it's just uh, this this book. Uh, I I will defend aesthetically, but also just when I was reading it, hit me uh, hit me really nostalgically, and uh, for just, sure was a uh, was a joy to read and i was like right. i haven't read josh in the podcast i should next time we record read josh in the podcast so absolutely yeah. it's um it's funny how reading this both reminds me um he does he has a distinctive style you know you you wouldn't have had to tell me this was him um for me to probably guess pretty quickly right um but also and i, I guess i say this having not read much of your work in quite a while um it does like hit me of like oh this definitely did influence you you know like his style his voice definitely had a had a a strong influence on you yeah um i'm I'm mostly jealous as as we kind of reflect on it again longtime listeners might recall i only had josh for one class most of creative writing folks had him for both classes um so he had I, I had that really uncomfortable thing of, of walking into the advanced creative writing class as the only person who didn't have him for the first creative writing class, mm, um, yeah. you know, which just, just made it uh, a little bit more difficult, you know? Yeah. But uh, I, I remember from the intro class, that was like the first, I think any of us in that class had read contemporary poetry of any kind. Right. And he like right. walked into the first day of lecture and like read a Frank, Frank O'Hara poem. And <laughs> um, then like, I think our, our first book was a um, was a Chiku Ready book that was just, you know, very, very good but very dense, and it was just like, oh, mm. this is not. I was reading Christopher <laughs> Marlowe was like last semester, right? <laughs> right. But that is, I mean, this that's is like not a hard... traditionalist poetry. <laughs> I think it is a hard thing as an English major, at least at a school like Loyola. We had to hit so many check marks that were just like these time period things. So you did end up mostly, you know, reading pretty old stuff yeah there are a lot of pre-20th century yeah benchmarks you had to hit to get the exactly writing especially the creative writing concentration i think right um, and so i brought up that he was a lot of people's first experience with contemporary poetry in that for better or for ill he like shaped everyone's image <laughs> of, what, point. of what poetry right. was you know for a couple of years there um i would right. argue for better because I, no, I i would agree i was just gonna say for me that was one of the more influential things from that class was similarly like I think he assigned you know ten contemporary poetry books and I all was just small like, press stuff right right and I was all just like press. blown away by all of it I like I'm I, I'm looking and I know he had us read um, <laughs> how am I forgetting the name of this damn book right now um, not Citizen but um, the book before it oh the Claudia uh, Ranking book um, yeah let me be lonely yeah right like you know that blew my mind we read C.S. Giscombe we read Renee Gladman talk about like Oh, experimental stuff. We read um, oof, the name of the book. G.C. Waldrop? Like, you, were you in the class that read his book? We did not, no. Oh, man, uh, I think Archer Symbolico is the title of it. It's a bonkers book. I'm yeah? It's, it's it's one of those poetry books I would only recommend to the true poetry sickos. It's it's <laughs> it's nuts, but I, I love it. And he came to the class. He told this great story that has stuck with me. This is G.C. Yeah. Uh, said he, he got to poetry because he was a um, he was a baker. He, or he worked at a bakery. And so he's working yeah. these overnight shifts where there was like nothing to do except watch bread bake. But there were lots of ovens. So you like every 10 minutes you had to be doing something, but it, you're mostly just watching bread bake. And he was like, I can read a poem in between tasks or I can write a poem. In between <laughs> uh, tasks. Yeah, yeah. And that stuck with me for when I became a parent 
right. for a while there, I wasn't reading books. I was reading a few poems here, a few yeah. short stories here. Anthologies became my my best friend right. when when my when my son was first born. But um, yeah, that that that's an aside that is taking us further <laughs> off course than we already are. But that's that stuck out to me. It was like, yeah, you can read a poem while you're watching bread bake. That's really that's really good. Yeah, I will I will end our aside very quickly. But I, I just I can't double up enough of. I definitely own. I'm looking for one of them right now. It's gonna drive me crazy. I can't reach for it. Um, it's called Recyclopedia, and it's three collections by. Oh, what is her name? She's so good. I was not in the class to read this book. Yeah, uh, Harriet Mullen. Yeah, we read um, Sleeping with a Dictionary. Gotcha. Right. Um, and and I remember like that. Like that's one of those most classic. Again, like poetry for the sickos. Where like the first couple times, like I started reading this book, and I was just, like, I don't get it like these are interesting but i don't get it and then the deeper you get you're like oh my god how does she do this page upon page upon page um but again just all getting back to yeah i own all i those were all books that i had to keep they were so important to me yeah it's still um, the majority of my poetry collection <laughs> right which says more about my postgrad finances oh. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but uh years later i would take a short workshop with uh, a poet that I respect mm-hmm. um, and someone at the end of the workshop like asked and this was not in my MFA program this was elsewhere someone else in the workshop asked um, you know what are you reading and the guy just gave the answer of like a poet who had recently died and their last book was like over 10 years old and I was just like man that makes me question so much of you know kind of like some of what you're telling me because like you're there's so much happening uh, and I yeah. love that Josh Josh was so engaged you know, with the contemporary scene. Yeah, um, definitely. And got me like really into contemporary fiction too. Yeah. That one yeah. class I've talked about before on this podcast, the uh, literature from the writer's perspective. Right. On the anchor book of um, new American short stories, which got me into, I mean, I think Ann Carson's in that anthology. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, and then uh, uh, David Kaplan, who's the fiction teacher there assigned as contemporary fiction and stuff like that. But right. Josh was also a cheerleader of contemporary literature that I don't yeah. think Loyola had too many of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now I've taken it. We both have taken us completely off track. Bring me back to the poem. What's going on in these two pages that made you pick it out to bring to me and to our loyal, massive audience? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our army of listeners have been waiting and baiting breath, bated breath for the last five months for a podcast. <laughs> I think it is the it's the questions. He mm-hmm. writes a question better than I think anybody in poetry writes a question. <laughs> um, it's it's so it's so cool, and I, I just love a good question. He taught me to write like a good question in poetry, mm-hmm. um, but I just um, I think it's such a cool way to you know, you have these like long stretches of lines that just kind of flow. Um, mm-hmm. and then you just kind of like put a question mark at the end of a sentence and it changes everything. Um, <laughs> um a dead and standing pool of air, each squashed cat or skunk on the interstate. I see, I think what's before us is already done getting itself here. Right. <laughs> have your habits grown so unkempt? Like, I don't know. It's just, yeah. It's it's a rhetorical trick that I just I love. It's great for sure. Absolutely, it is. Um, it's so interesting to look at something like this. You know, with the there's an extra space between each line. Um, the lines aren't necessarily long, 
But I think like you could put this in front of someone who's a little less familiar with poetry and like they wouldn't maybe immediately label it as poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's some enjambment, but there's like enough lines that end on the punctuation where someone, you know, might not quite go like, Oh, poetry's happening here. I think it allows them to do such interesting stuff here. I think you're dead on with the questions. Um, and that he does them so well. That's such a hard thing to try and put my finger on of like what makes a good question. <laughs> Cause it could get annoying. It can problem. easily get annoying. You I know? think part of why I like it so much is it, it does have to be done sparingly. Yeah. Um, I think or else. Yeah. It, it becomes, it becomes annoying to read more than a few of them at a time. Like right. this one is five questions at the end of the first page. And it's, it's, yeah. that's if that's, if that's not the limit is close to it. um i i mean it's interesting too of i don't i can't whatever sense of plot there is or is not in the full length poem um you know i can't i can't get much of it here how shall i answer in what registered i mean this is just telling on myself immediately makes me think of of uh Proof Rock, T.S. Eliot a little bit. Um, mm. But he's not doing anything like that. No. no. <laughs> he's a very, very different poet than that. Um, I think in, in the larger context of the poem, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a breakup being alluded to by the speaker. Okay. Um, uh-huh. You know, uh, it's, it's, um, uh, it's opaque, but um, it's, there, there is some sort of, plot and interpersonal conflicts hinted at, you know? Right. Right. I mean, and that all tracks for him of, uh, you know, it's, it's, it hits that really sweet narrow spot where I don't, I can't just, you know, resist summarization. I can't tell you exactly what's going on. Um, but I don't feel, I don't feel entirely thrown off by that. I don't, I'm not dissatisfied with that. I don't feel like we're doing nothing here. Right. Right. <laughs> it, it, it's, it, there's, there's, you know, there's, it's scattered images. It's disparate stuff, but I don't think we're doing nothing here. That's right. It's a good way of putting it. Um, we also we got the animals in here. We got a squash cat or skunk. We don't know, and yeah. the big fuzzy dog pissing on the floor. <laughs> <This is> so <laughs> <laughs> what an image! What an image! Uh, I could. I love. I also love the the line break. A big fuzzy dog line. Yeah. Break. Pissing Perfect. on the flowers, golden, <laughs> golden. Uh, I think I think you're like legally obligated to make that the line break if you if that's your line. <laughs> uh, oh my goodness! Um, do you want to take us out of the poem a little bit? Yeah, uh, beyond the page stuff. Um, beyond the page. Yeah, I I think um, I I've been motivated lately to try to finish that manuscript that I've been working mm-hmm. on. Yeah, and uh, um, I. You know, I've got, I've got enough of stuff there that even though I've kind of had it on the shelf for a while, I can't just ignore it. And mm. uh, so I'm like, all right, let's just kind of get back into poetry a bit. And I was like, well, let's right. let's, let's go back go, to uh, let's go back to basics. Let's read. Yeah, you know, go back to the roots. Go, go back to roots. And yeah. Um, yeah, especially since like, yeah, I won't I won't deny he is a huge influence on me. That like, you know, I do like that style. I I I it. it it does show up in my work that he taught me how to write poetry. <laughs> you know? So I was just like, all right, well, you know, I'll, you know, sometimes when I'm, when I'm stuck on something, like I've been stuck on poetry for the last 
however many years, uh, it's, you know, read the stuff that I, uh, I know inspires me, you know? Right. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's, that was, uh, that was the, that was the impetus for picking up this book. That's, that's fair. You know, the, the worst thing for me, uh, reading this poem, you also alluded to it, but it just, it's, I can, I can, I get the physical sensation of the cringe of the poem that he passed back to me. That was just cliche, cliche, cliche. Like he, could, he couldn't mark enough the stuff that he was just like, this is cliche and bland. And, 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 and right. you know, it's like one of those things where it's just like, well, he, I, I think I need to turn in a new poem. You know, like <laughs> there's no revising this. There's no going back. The you know, the premise of the poem was not worth doing. <laughs> Which is feedback you need as a twenty-one-year-old. It's feedback you need as a twenty-one-year-old. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, no. I don't um, know a poem that I wrote for that class that I would stand by to this day. <laughs> like, yeah, the, yeah. If if I if I if I go back and and look, I still have some of those marked up poems, and it's just like, yeah, he was right. I hated that time, but he was right. You know. <laughs> I bet I do have the marked up poems. I don't know where they are, and oh, I don't know how I would feel if I saw them. <laughs> Um, but you know, I mean, I also think like, uh, uh, yeah, I definitely don't want to give the impression that he wasn't encouraging because he he was Uh, absolutely agree. But but that, that was, that was part of it too. Is when you go and hand him a poem and he's like, not this one. (laughs) That was, that was part of what was so great about his class was it was the first time someone took me seriously as a poet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we've talked before about, you know, poems are such a weird thing where you can kind of get away for a while where like you show someone a poem and they're like, wow, how'd you do that? You know, it's just, it's a magic trick. They're, you know, surprised that you would ever even try to do that. And then you get in a room with someone who's serious about it and says, I want you to be a better writer and you can be a better writer. Right. Um, I want you to be a better writer and I believe that you can be. Yeah. It's, and it's the, it's the best, you know, like, uh, I am, ready here to bash on grad school but also i can't deny being in a poetry workshop where like people are serious i think is so wonderful yeah oh it's great and something that i've taken some workshops uh as an adult um Mm -hmm. that have been uh definitely move at the same speed my life moves and that like you know Mm -hmm. it's like online do some readings write what you can comment on other people's stuff if you can but i have not in my adult life duplicated the sense of community and like supportive writing environment that he, and part of that's yeah. just being in a college, you know? Right. Um, right. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So I got gushy. Then we got nostalgic. What an episode. What an episode. <laughs> <laughs> the real sickos are going to love this. <laughs> <laughs> this is line break fan service. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Should we talk basketball? Uh, I guess we should talk basketball. The NBA season is happening and it's a disaster for everyone involved. The the only question I could think of was, uh, and I I don't want this to be our official question, but I'm going to ask it. Which poet is enjoying this NBA season more? Ezra Pound, the fascist, or Billy Collins, the misogynist? Oh my gosh. You've got the Kyrie Irving stuff. You've got the Robert Sarver stuff. You've got the Josh Primo stuff. You've got, am I forgetting something? Miles Bridges. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's been a bad vibe season, man. Right. Right. And that's not even Um, to talk about players who are injured, like my beloved (laughs) Lonzo Ball or your beloved, uh, our beloved Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm not feeling great about that. So that I mean that pushed me to because I was thinking similar wavelength of all the negative stuff. So maybe my, maybe my question is, what is the early season like cool thing that you're excited about? John Morant, the Memphis. Grizzlies. John Morant, that's yeah. fair. That's um, fair. And also like and I don't, so so that I'm separated from all the talking heads who say they're excited about John Morant and the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, I have some friends in Memphis. Um, mm-hmm. Craig, if you're listening, I'm I'm thinking of you who just like go nuts for that team. You know, I think yeah. it's the, you don't think of Tennessee as being a basketball state, but uh, mm. I think people in Memphis love the Grizzlies. Um, they uh, got super jacked for the grit grind team. And now it's like, they have this new team that actually fits with the modern NBA, but still has like that grit grind aesthetic and stuff. Like right. plus Jaw is just such a pure and joyful player to watch, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, but other things to be excited about the NBA season. Um, I was watching the Celtics the other night, and um, shout out to past guest Ianelli Antigua and her um, love for Jalen Brown because yeah. the Celtics are just full of cool players. Like I love, I and I love um, Derek White, Jalen Brown. It sucks that it's the Celtics. They're so <laughs> full of cool players. Al Horford still kicking. My guy, love Horford, love Brogdon, love Brogdon. Uh, if, if there's oh, yeah. a if there's a guard you would love, Bob, it would be Malcolm Brockton. <laughs> um, What's I'll exciting out, for you? I was gonna say I'll throw out there um, one of the cool thing. Like as much as I'm not happy about Kawhi's injury situation, I I take a little bit of joy out of the Nets being bad, but like it's still not ideal. You know, like Kevin Durant playing to his best of his ability on an interesting team would be the best case scenario. But you throw in that you've got like Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, LeBron James, Anthony Davis. That's like six really good players, all in tough situations. Um, it terrible feels... situations. <laughs> like it's cool it's... that the Nets and the Lakers suck. It's not cool that LeBron and KD are wasting a season like this. I agree. I agree. But I do feel like it's it's turned into a season where there's like a way more even playing field that we're used to. Um, That's true. And I like I that. Feel like, I feel like so many teams are in it. I feel like it's been great to see like the tanking teams be good. Like I know yeah, it won't hilarious. last, but like the Jazz being good, the Spurs being good. Yeah. Um, uh, you'll be mad about this. I own a Utah Jazz baseball hat now, and it's been really fun to wear that as oh boy. a good basketball team. You said now, as in you you intentionally recently went out and bought Utah Jazz merchandise. It was, you know, classic, uh, it was on sale uh, Instagram ad. You know, it was one of those things, it was like, $15 hat, it looks really cool. I can't afford to not buy this right now. <laughs> you know what, for a $15 hat, fair enough. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I will continue to gloat about this. I, I got... Tyrese Halliburton with the last pick uh, in our keeper draft, my fantasy league, his rookie oh, season. Yeah. And so just like rooting for that guy and knowing that I'm going to keep him on my fantasy team for quite a while is really fun. Nice. Um, all of our Bulls friends, like they cannot fathom how I have a soft spot for the Pacers, but I do. Um, it's so funny. <laughs> I have like a, I have like a, I have blockers on my eyes that won't let me root for the Pacers or yes, like right? even enjoy watching their games. <laughs> like I don't like their jerseys. I don't like. Like when Malcolm Brogdon went from um, what was it, the Bucks to the Pacers? I was like, yeah. this sucks because the Bucks are going to win a championship. Brogdon 
I'm just not going to see play for a couple of years because I'm not going to watch a Pacers game. <laughs> right, right. And it's, it's, I don't even dislike the Pacers. I don't have feelings one way or the other about them as a team, as a franchise. Um, I thought they were late 90s teams that battle with the Bulls so much were really cool. They were cool you know, teams. They were cool teams. Um, I've thought they had cool teams before. I just, for whatever reason, I just like, I see the jerseys and my brain turns off. <laughs> just, ugh, gross. Um, I, so yeah, I'm really excited that Halliburton is like free and doing what he's going to do. Yeah. Um, I was going to throw out there one more last thing. Oh, it's that the magic beat the warriors the other night. And I love that. Bring it on. Speaking of the magic, I love that bowl bowl is playing like bowl bowl <laughs> is balling out for the magic. And it's awesome. Uh, oh, and speaking of weirdos, um, the, uh, the Raptors team full mm-hmm. of weirdos, just being mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I feel like we noticed this last season, but yeah, it does. Like, yeah, what's kind of great about seeing these super teams not be tenable is, uh, it feels like there's a league with a lot of teams that like, I can understand their plan right now, you know? Um, and as much as sometimes it is funny to make fun of, you know, an incompetent organization, um, the league is better when most of the teams are like, this is what we're trying to do right now. This is right. We have some, there is a lot of talent in the league right now. Right. Right. There are just so many good, cool and fun players. It's almost like we could afford a couple expansion teams and one of them should be in Kansas city, not Las Vegas. (laughs) I don't know. Just throwing it out there. Um, we do have an NBA ready arena. I don't know. Just, just an idea. (laughs) I support the NBA not being in Las Vegas. So, yeah, get a Seattle and a Kansas City I'd be down with. Yeah. It'd be wonderful for everyone. Uh. <laughs> That's probably where we uh, sign off. I, I think so. On pro Kansas City propaganda. I'm, I'm That's favorite. what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, there's some pro Kansas City propaganda. I like Kansas yeah. City. Uh. Right. Well, our music producer is uh, Brendan Johnson. Our artist is A.M. Strickland. And we will talk to you all next time. <laughs>